The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Blessed be the Lord who would not give us up. I want to welcome all who are gathered here in the name of the Lord who did not give us up. Let's pray together. Lord, you have created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so we pray for ears to hear. We pray for bodies to practice, and we pray for hearts to follow and love you. God, I pray for the gift of preaching in the name of Jesus, who did not give us up. Amen. You are what you love. You aren't what you think. That's not primarily who you are, although thinking's part of it, is that you are what you love. And in many ways, you kind of practice what you love. I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like I'm run by my calendar, the practice of my calendar. In other words, if I look on my phone, if it's not on my phone, if it's not on the calendar on my phone, I'm probably not going to do it. You feel that way? And as Brett talked about time last week, I was reminded, man, our lives are run by our calendars. And they're important calendars, work calendars, school calendars, sports calendars. There's all kinds of calendars that are running our lives. In fact, I arrange my calendar, but most of the time I feel like my calendar arranges me. And I get into the rhythms of life that shape what I do and who I am and what I love. And so I was very convicted last week when Brett was preaching on how our habits of time and the rhythms of time that what shapes us, the time that shapes us. And I was very convicted of this. I'm shaped by the calendar of football. I know, it's confession time, right? I am. Like, no one really has to tell me when football season comes up. Like, that rhythm... Like of watching football games, right? If you watched OU win last night, I watched the game. I probably should have been preparing for the sermon, and you'll remind me of that later that I should have done that. But I watched the football game. No one has to remind me it's football season. I've grown up with that rhythm. It shaped me. And I want to watch football. But what always sneaks up on me is this. In the liturgical calendar, Ash Wednesday, we don't practice Ash Wednesday, but Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent. And Ash Wednesday, if you know anything, the churches that do this is that, I don't know if you see people that have the, like they'll have a cross, right? You'll be walking around, they have a, looks like charcoal cross on their head. It's because they go and confess on Ash Wednesday that, God, we're from dust. That's all we are. And they confess their lives. They enter a season of repentance and fasting. 
And it always sneaks up on me. Because I'm conscious of Ash Wednesday and I'm conscious of Lent, but here's what happens. Is that I'm going along in life, usually in the spring, and then all of a sudden I walk to the grocery store, or not walk, I go to the grocery store, and I see someone with the ashes on their head. And I go, oh, I forgot, it's already time, it's Ash Wednesday. And what I mean by this, just comparing the two, I don't know we don't do Ash Wednesday, but here, here's the point. Otherwise, I was convicted. No one has to remind me about football. It's the rhythm, right? It's the rhythm of the practice of my life of watching football. But my life is not arranged to the rhythms of confession, to the rhythms of fasting. Because when I walk into the grocery store and see someone, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta confess. And then, oh yeah, it's Lent. Maybe I should give something up. And so this is confession time. Not that we should start Ash Wednesday. Maybe we should, but I'm as guilty as anybody else is that I'm more accustomed to the rhythms of watching football than I am to the rhythms of confession and fasting. And it shaped who I am and what I love. How many of you have had this experience with, with practice, right? How many of you have ever uh, gotten in your car in the morning on the way to work or school, and you get in the car, and then before you know it, you're getting out of the car, and you don't remember driving to work? Now, this is really scary. Most of you aren't paying attention. i got to pay attention way more now driving to work because all of you jokers aren't paying attention to anything. <laughs> No, Monty's listening to NPR, and who knows what the rest of you are doing. But when you first started driving to a new place, when you first started driving, right, remember how, how you were really concentrated and really trying hard, remember? And then even like once you knew how to drive, if you're going to a new place, you're really paying attention, and you really have to work at it. But over time, once you do it so many times, it just becomes second nature to you. So you don't have to do it. You don't have to think about it anymore. You just do it. That's your practice, right? That's your habit. You just do it without thinking about it. And oftentimes we think of rituals or practices, right? Especially in Christianity, it was too ritualistic, then it's just meaningless. You don't ever think about driving to work, but it's not a meaningless practice, is it? Because if you didn't practice that and know that, you might end up in the wrong place if you aren't in the habit of driving to the same place every day. Practices are important. Regular practices are important because what they do is they shape us, even if the practice is not in our first nature and it's difficult at first, over time we begin practicing it and pretty soon we just do it because that's who we are. So I want to begin with a practice this morning. A little awkward, maybe, because we're not used to doing this. It's like the first time you drive, right? You're like, uh, I'm not sure. It's awkward. I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to ask that we take one minute. We, you've done this before in church. I want you to stand 
and greet your neighbor. Greet a neighbor around you. Welcome someone. Take a few, take a minute or so, and I'll call us back together. Stand and greet a neighbor. Okay, so there is a long tradition in the in the in the in the church. There's a long tradition in the church, which is really important. And traditionally, it's been called offering the peace of Christ. Where the minister, or it could be the, the members of the congregation, says, the peace of Christ be with you. And you respond, and also with you. Or the Lord be with you, and also with you. Right? Now, that may be a little too high church for most of us, but most of us who've been in church that are kind of more low church, kind of uh, Protestant evangelical churches, they've changed. You might be familiar with this, right? The welcome on Sunday morning, right? I remember at the old building way back growing up when I went to church at Quell Springs Church of Christ way back in the day, we used to do a time of welcome. We stand and greet your neighbor, right? Let's stand and greet our neighbor. And I thought, well, maybe this was time just to fill or maybe this was just kind of a ploy to get, to get you to know your neighbor. Right? And it was sometimes kind of awkward, right? Peace of Christ be with you and also with you, right? Or, hi, how are you doing? It's so short. But I was telling this to a, a, a friend of mine about this practice, and he was like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. In my church, we called it the howdy and hug time. Yeah, it was a Texas church. That's why I was howdy and hug. Whatever you call it, whether you call it offering the peace, whether you call it the welcome, whether you call it the howdy and the hug, it's all the same. It's this practice of hospitality. And we do this, the church has done this for three reasons, at least three reasons. First, the church has done this because it is not us who has welcomed ourselves here, but it is God who has first welcomed you. So Exodus 23, 9 says this. It says, do not oppress the stranger, for you yourself knows how it feels to be a stranger, because you were strangers in Egypt. Like Kelsey talked about at the table. And second, because God has welcomed us, then within the church, we should welcome one another. Romans 15, 7 says, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And third, and this may be one that we're not too familiar with. But third, the welcome or hospitality is an act of worship. For centuries, the church has considered this an act of worship. And Romans 12, verse 1 says, we know this very well, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your true and proper worship. And then if you kept reading down through Romans 12, it lists all the ways we are to offer our body in worship. In love, and in patience, in service, in faithful prayer. And then in verse 
13, it ends with this. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your act of worship. And here's how you offer your body. Be hospitable to strangers. That hospitality is an act of worship. And this practice of worship is meant to shape us in a particular way. The word hospitality in Greek is actually philozenia. Philozenia. Now, we don't really associate, we don't probably know that word. Unless you know Greek, you don't know that word. But here's a Greek word you're going to know, right? Have you ever heard the word xenophobic? Do we know what that means? You do know a little Greek. Xenophobic means to be afraid of strangers. And actually, the word hospitality, to be hospitable in Greek, is philozenia, which literally means love of stranger. And when we think of hospitality, we probably think of lots of different things, but in Scripture, it's love of stranger. And it's not any love. It's the kind of love that you would show to your own family, to your own kin, that you would show to strangers. But our culture has shaped the way we practiced hospitality. It shaped it in very distinct ways. And hospitality is no longer a thing where you go and get to know your stranger. Hospitality, actually, in our culture, is practiced as a commodity. So where it used to be that uh, when people came through town, they stayed in homes, now there's a whole industry called hotels. It's the hospitality industry. Right? So you go to a place that will keep you, and you pay money, and you receive their hospitality. Right? Or it used to be that you go and eat in someone's home. But we're a culture that goes out to eat all the time. By the way, I like staying in hotels. I like going out to eat. It's one of my favorite things to do. But those practices shape us. Because I go and I pay for someone to cook a meal to be hospitable to me. And I pay for someone to serve it to me. And I'm shaped by that. In the ancient world... It's similar to some of the ancient world practices. They, when they taught, sometimes hospitality looked like this. It was a matter of reciprocity. Reciprocity was, hey, I'm hospitable, hospitable to you, so I do that in order that you'll repay me at some moment. Right? So in the same way, a hotel or a restaurant is hospitable to you so they can receive something back. And Jesus actually has words about this. He says, when you throw a party, when you throw a banquet, don't go invite your friends and rich people who could pay you back. Go invite the poor. Go invite the ones who could never pay you back. And we know that story, right? But here's, what else, here's how else our hospitality culture has shaped us, is that it's great. I've been a server. I've worked in the hospitality industry. But here's what it does. Here's how it shapes us. 
is that when you go to a hotel, you receive hospitality from strangers. When you go to a restaurant, you receive hospitality from the waiter or the waitress and their stranger. But here's what never happens, or rarely happens. The practice never ends in them not being strangers to you anymore. By the time you leave, they're still strangers. And the word, philozenia, means love of strangers. That hospitality has become for us this commodity that we exchange, but hospitality, the practice of hospitality in the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, is that we practice in order to love strangers. It's worked this way. We feel this as well. Most of us, I imagine, live in the suburbs. And the suburbs are a place that actually has come that lets us practice being separated from people and people being strangers. Because, oh, a century or two ago, people began moving to cities when industry was happening, right? So poor rural farmers were moving into the city, and as more people moved into the city, those who had money and lived in the city, they were like, ugh, there's too many people here. I want some more privacy. So they started fleeing to the suburbs. And as the suburbs became more and more crowded, and this need for privacy became more and more because there's too many people around, here's what happened. We used to build our houses with front porches. Houses aren't built with front porches anymore. You used to park your car, right? And if you're not catching me, the front porch idea, you sat on your front porch, and everybody sat on their front porch. I remember those days in small town Oklahoma when I went with my grandparents, and he always sat out with his iced, iced sweet tea and yell at his neighbors across the street. And they'd come over and sit and have some tea. I don't have a front porch to sit on. And the invention of the garage door opener changed things too for us, that practice. Because now I can literally drive, I can get in my car in the morning, open my garage door, back out, go to work, come home, open the garage door, pull in, and shut it. I don't ever have to get outside my house and talk to anybody. I see lots of head shaking. And so we don't mean to, but do you see how our practices shape us to where if you look out in our, most of our neighborhoods, there's nobody out there. And there are many people in my neighborhood that are strangers to me. In fact, it's interesting, I was with a our landlord in Uganda. We got to talking one time and she came over for lunch and we were chatting and she was telling how her daughter lives in America and so she got to go spend a year and live in America. And here's what struck her. Her daughter was a, a doctor, fairly wealthy, lived in this big house. And she says, I would look out my window and I'd walk outside and what was so strange to me is that there was nobody out there. 
And one of the first things you notice if you come, if you ever come to Uganda with me, is that there are people everywhere outside. There are, strange, there are neighbors and strangers. You can't walk outside without knowing somebody. Me as an introvert, I was like, ah, there's too many people. But I had to get used to that. And I knew a lot of people. You know. She said she would literally spend an entire week. She says it was very lonely. Because my daughter and my son-in-law would go to work, and the kids would go to school, and I'd be at home all day. And I'd be like, well, in Africa, you could just walk out your door and talk to somebody. Here, I would walk outside, and it may be a full week before I would see anybody outside a car or walking. Being hospitable to strangers, loving them, trusting them, and getting to know them, I don't know if it's our first nature. At least it's not mine. And our cultural practices have reinforced that in us. But it's through the practice of Christian hospitality that perhaps by practicing hospitality, it may reshape our view of the stranger. And it may reform our love toward them. Matthew 25 is a central text if you want to turn with me, we'll have it up on the screen. Matthew 25, beginning verse 31. This is a central text for the practice of hospitality for Christians. It says this, beginning Matthew 25, beginning verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne and all nations will be gathered around Him. And He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for For early Christians, feeding hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting prisoners were all considered acts of hospitality. And Jesus also says, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Because whatever you did for these strangers, you did it for me. And often I hear students and even some of you express something like this. Say, man, I just have a hard time. I know God is there. I believe in God. Like I give mental, like I know that in my head, but I just have a hard time seeing God in the world. Seeing God in my life. 
Where is he? And Jesus says, whenever you saw a stranger, and he invited him in. That was me. And some people say, man, I just want to trust God more. I want to love him more. I want to love him with all my heart, but I struggle. You're struggling with loving God and what that means. Jesus identifies with strangers and says when you're hospitable to strangers, you're hospitable to God. When you love strangers, philosinia, when you love strangers, you love God. Let me say this. This is very important to me. There's a lot of talk these days about being hospitable churches. And I want to be a hospitable church. But I'm afraid the hospitality culture has captured our imagination and our practices. Because here's why we want to be hospitable. We'd be hospitable so they'll come to church here, so we'll grow. We are not a people that are hospitable because we want to grow, as if there's some exchange that happens, right? I'm hospitable to you. You come and join my church. Here's why God's people are hospitable. Here is why God's people are hospitable to strangers, because we never know when Jesus is going to walk through our When we practice hospitality, it might change how we view strangers and God. When we practice hospitality, it might shape our love towards strangers. It might just shape our love towards God. A friend of mine told me a story that he read in the Dallas News. The headline of the newspaper in the life section was called a movement of turquoise tables and the article was about a, a christian woman it said her husband uh, early on her and her husband we moved into the neighborhood and what what they found was is that their neighbors were very friendly you know the, the wave it's almost like the country wave you know you got your hand on the steering wheel and just do this right like you got it you got two fingers like, if you're driving on a country road, you've got to do that, right? They know you're not from the country if you don't do the, the two-finger wave, right? You city folks, sir, you don't know what you're doing if you don't do the two-finger wave. But everybody was friendly, and they would greet, you know, everybody would, would, would just greet one another. But she said, but I, I came to realize I didn't really know anybody. Like, we would say hi to one another, but we were all intents and purposes, we were strangers to one another. And so what she decided to do, she bought like a picnic table. And she, it was an old picnic table, and so she decided to paint it turquoise because she liked the color turquoise. And so what she decided to do after she had painted that, it, painting it turquoise had nothing to do with, with what she was about to do, but, you know, she had a picnic table, she painted it turquoise. She decided to take this turquoise table and set it in her front yard, and then she went and cooked a bunch of lasagna. And she just said, I just started going around the neighborhood knocking on doors saying, hey, 
I got a turquoise picnic table and a bunch of lasagna. You ought to come for dinner tonight. And guess what? She said, it was really awkward. She said, I didn't have any idea if anybody would come. She said she was shocked. The people actually showed up to her turquoise picnic table. She says, people really crave community. We live in a culture that's so different from, what we, from when we didn't have cell phones. And people want to be known. And the table provides a place for them to be known. Because we can sit in our houses and have online communities. And I can know all about you, but I don't even know you. I see all your Facebook. I know what you're doing in your life, but I don't know, I don't know you. And she said the article was about that people saw this turquoise table and people began doing it in other neighborhoods. So in around Garland, Texas, you could randomly find turquoise tables throughout neighborhoods where they would just invite their neighbors who they didn't know. And over time, the practice of inviting their neighbor, the stranger, those people did not become, they, they weren't strangers anymore. She said this, we started inviting people over for meals to become close to them. And that got us in the habit of keeping our home open to outsiders. Did you hear that language? Did you hear at the beginning, she says, it was really awkward at the beginning. It was like when I first started driving a car, remember? It's like, uh, I'm not sure what I'm doing. This doesn't feel right. And but she says, as we kept practicing it over and over again, it changed our, changed our view of our neighbors. And it kept our house open to strangers. So here's what I want to do today. I'm not usually as explicit as, as this, but I want to challenge this congregation. This sermon comes with homework. Sorry about that. But I'm serious about this. Because it's one thing to think it, Right? You think something, I think, and it's another thing to practice something, right? And it's going to be awkward, and you're not going to know if you're good at it. But here's what I want you to do. There's, I want you to two things. First of all, is there's a bunch of people, and by the way, you, you, you folks coming up for worship, you're not out of this. You've got to listen. Don't act like you've got a job and you're doing it now. You've got to do the homework, too. Here's what you've got to do. It's going to be awkward. But there are people in this church. We're a, not a huge church, right? Number size. But there are people in this church, you know this, because I know this, that they're strangers to you. You may kind of know them, but you don't know them. In the next month, here's your challenge. Go and invite someone who's a stranger in our midst, who goes to this church, who's a member of this church, but is a stranger to you, invite them over for dinner. And by the way, when you get invited, do the work of making time to go. And then here's the other one. Is that sometimes in southern churches, we think of hospitality as just being hospitable to our own. 
right? Cooking meals. And there are some of you that are very, very good at it. And I want you to keep doing that. Keep cooking meals for us at Potluck. And in fact, uh, I'm a willing recipient. You can write this down. If you're if you have the gift of hospitality, my number is 405-802-2166. I will come and eat your food. That's my point, that I'm not a stranger. But here's the second challenge, that we just don't welcome each other. But that maybe not in the next month, but maybe the month after that, instead of just inviting someone who's maybe kind of a stranger to you here, at this place. Go and find someone in your neighborhood. And maybe you kind of know them. You've said hi to them. You don't have to be so radical to go get a complete stranger off the street. No, let's start small. Let's practice small. Just go find somebody that you don't know in your neighborhood. Invite them to dinner. It's going to be awkward. I guarantee it. But I wonder if we start practicing this. The way it'll change how we view strangers, and maybe actually how we might change the way we view God. And once you start practicing hospitality, and by the way, hospitality, the practice of hospitality is, is in worship. Once you practice hospitality, and hospitality gets inside you. It becomes second nature. You don't have to think about it. You just do it. Then you'll never view people or strangers in the same way. And maybe once we invite them into our homes and invite somebody in our neighborhood, maybe then that becomes second nature where we can go be radical about it and invite people that are very different than us that we've never thought to invite over for when I was a stranger you invited me in and as we practice hospitality it gets inside of us becomes second nature it'll direct our love towards strangers and it might just shape and direct your love towards God Philosinia, love of stranger. You don't have to start by loving them. You just have to start by practicing. And our practice will shape what you love. If you all would stand as we sing together.